listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, The Gospel of Luke, Jesus for All, we walk through Luke's account of the life and ministry of Christ. If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, turn with me to Luke chapter 10. We're going to move on down the pathway of the book of Luke. It's pretty fascinating the way uh, Luke has set up these passages. I'll kind of pull them all together as we... uh, move through the weeks. Um, I'll hold off on, on doing that a little bit, so not to spoil what's coming up, but it's pretty fascinating how Luke last week kind of uh, tapped into and looked at, at how you make your name, like how are you forming your identity, and, and today's message, he's going he's to kind of play into that and move into that and give us a, another way that we, we kind of not form our identity, but we, we justify ourselves and it's pretty fascinating the way, and then next week he's kind of looking at Mary and Martha, and, and then he ends with how we are to pray. So it's fascinating how, how Luke has put this all together and as it moves together. And, and again, today we turn to a very familiar passage, um, the par- par- parable of the Good Samaritan that's already been mentioned and, and talked about how he's talking about love. Um, although much of Jesus' teaching has been rejected by our secular culture, um, this idea of helping neighbor or being a good Samaritan, it's kind of hang on. I remember whenever I was driving truck and, and I would spend, well, too much time in Jersey, but I was in Jersey a lot. And um, on I-95, Sunoco was a company that actually had these vans. And what did they call them? They called them Good Samaritan Band. So if you're on I-95, if you've ever been on I-95 in Jersey, it's six lanes of chaos going both ways. And if you happen, something happens to you and you're off on the side of that, it's a pretty scary place to be. So they had these Samaritan vans that would come out and help you out for free, and, and that's what they would call them. So does that mean that we're going to spend the next 30, 40 minutes talking about being nice to your neighbor, about being a good Neighbor, we could. It's in the passage. It's here. Jesus is talking about that. He's defining some things about that. But Jesus is an absolutely brilliant teacher, and of course he is because he is God. And the way he responds to the question of the lawyer, in the same way that he responds to the seventy-two that returned, like he didn't take them at face value. He kind of went deep. He went straight to their hearts. Right. That's why we were talking about names and how you form your name last week because that was the idea is that your name is written in heaven that's what you should rejoice about well he does the same thing with this lawyer he goes right to the heart I mean I can stand up here and and, and I can give you 14 different ways that you can love on your neighbor we can you know launch a a church-wide campaign of go and loving your neighbor but I think Jesus is after more than that today he's after your heart He is after your thinking, your motivation, your desires. If he can shape your heart, then there's no doubt that you'll be a good Samaritan. Because he defines who the good Samaritan is. As we begin looking at this, we must remember the context. We must remember that Jesus just been rejoicing how the Father has hidden the secrets. This is there towards the end of our passage last week. Now, he's, he's hidden the secrets of salvation from people who thought they were wise and revealed them in, instead to people with childlike faith. That's the context. And behold, what happens? To prove his point, a lawyer stands up and asks a question to challenge Jesus. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? 
Let me pray real quick and we'll continue. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. Lord, there's a question that we're all asking. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Father, I pray today as we see what Jesus is teaching, Lord, that first we feel the weight of what we cannot do, and then we rejoice at what Christ has done. Lord, I pray that that's exactly how we feel today. As we walk through this passage, we feel the weight of what we cannot do and rejoice at what Christ has done. Lord, I ask that you would help us do so and change our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this lawyer that asked this question, he's not, don't think of a legal lawyer. He was a religious lawyer, um, an expert in, in God's law. So he's, he's testing him. He's challenging Jesus. Something, you know, we might think of him as a seminary professor in, in today's culture. Um, so it, it's, it's it'd be kind of, you know, he was not a, a legal lawyer. He's a, a religious lawyer. This is the question that every human actually asks, the same question that this lawyer asks. How can I inherit eternal life? Why? Well, because God put eternity in our hearts. Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us that. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So there's something inside of us that's like, what about this eternity? I'm going to live forever? I mean, we see that, you know, in the world around us right now as technology advances. There's so many people trying to figure out how can we live forever, you know, and in the Bible, written thousands of years ago, tells us why they had the. Why are they leaning that way? Why are, do they want to do that? It's because God has put eternity in our hearts, but eternity is only found with Him, and in His way of of getting there. So the lawyer is asking, "What are the requirements God has given me, so He will accept me, and He will favor me, and He will give me eternal life?" That's kind of what He's asking. He's like, what, what, what all is, is God asking of me? Jesus quickly fires back a question in verse 26. He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? So Jesus being a teacher, he's, he's going to, you know, it started out by the lawyer standing up and wants to test Jesus, kind of trap him. And now Jesus is turning the tide. He turns to the word. And now he's going to push in on the lawyer. He's a good teacher. A lot of good teachers do that. A lot of good teachers will ask enough questions till you get to your end of yourself so that you can see the true answer. And that's what Jesus is going to do to this lawyer. See, the lawyer thought he was going to trap Jesus, but Jesus turned the tide. He turned it in back on the lawyer. The law expert believed what most religious leaders of that time believed. The way to get to heaven or the way to get one with God, or the way to be saved, or the way to have God's favor, the way to do this is to take the Ten Commandments, the God's law, we're summoning up in the Ten Commandments, and obey them all of your life, and be as good as you possibly can. That's what they believe, like, I'm good, I can do this. That's what they believed, that's what he believed. That's what everybody taught in the day. In many ways, that is what our culture believes too. And unfortunately, many professing believers this idea that everyone is good, I'm good. I can justify myself, I'm good. God's gonna, God has a heaven for me when I pass away. I'll be in heaven because I'm good. This idea that we're all good. And then either our family corrupts us or our environment corrupts us or the government corrupts us, but we're all born good 
and then we get corrupted. And the Bible flips that on its head. He says, no, we're all born corrupted, and we're looking for the good, and the good is found in Jesus. So this is what they believed in that day. And this is what many professing Christians even today believe, that I'm just good. And, and then how do we do that? How do we justify ourselves before God in saying, it's just, I'm just a good person? Well, instead of, of comparing ourselves to God, and that being the standard, what we do is we, we go horizontal and we compare ourselves to the worst of society. You know, we're, we're kind of like the, the, the guy that was praying and says, I'm so glad I'm not like that person. And that's how we justify ourselves. That's how we say we're good. I'm not like that person. I'm much better than that person. So I'm good. I'm good with God. But that's not God's standard. His standard is never to say that you're justified because you're not as bad as whatever you fill in the blank as. That's not the way of God. So if the lawyer can get Jesus to say one of his crazy sayings that he's been saying over the last um, couple uh, months and in, in, in time as he's been preaching, if he gets one of these statements to say, just follow me or just believe in me, then the lawyer has him. See, because the lawyer knows that the, the teacher of the law, he's like, it's the law. You've got to fulfill the Ten Commandments. You've got to do all these Ten Commandments. This is how you get to heaven. And the lawyer comes, and then Jesus comes along and says, no, just believe in me. Follow me. The kingdom could come near. The kingdom could come quickly. And the lawyer has it in his head. Man, I, I'm going to nail just Jesus, and I'm going to disqualify him as a teacher because he's teaching all these weird things. So if the lawyer can get Jesus to say one of these crazy statements, then he has him pinned. He wanted to, to trap him. But Jesus flips the script and asks him, how do you read the law? Knowing how the lawyer lived. He knew this. He knew how he thought. He knew what he, he believed and how he got to heaven. So he asked him a question. So how do you read the law? The lawyer answers by summing up the law. We read this in verses 27 and 28. And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. We cannot blow past this amazing statement that Jesus just said. What did Jesus say? He said, the essence of what it means to be a human being, what you were built for, what God requires of you, what it means to live a human life is to love. He just summed it up. Love God, love your neighbor. What does it mean to be human? Love. It's all rooted and grounded in love. So it's all about the feeling of love. Right? That's this feeling. Wait a minute. I, I know this feeling of love comes and goes, right? So Jesus is saying it's all rooted in love, that being a human being, it's, it's all about love, but love is just a feeling. It's like, no, that's, that's kind of what of our modern culture has created love to be, is just a feeling. It's, it's more than that. Absolutely, it's a feeling. Absolutely, it's a feeling. But it's much more than that. But in fact, I would even argue that it's primarily an action. That love is an action. That it is what it, the rest of the passage tells us, but we're, we're going to get there. He's going to show us what love is by how somebody acted and what they did. 
So it goes beyond feelings. It's also action. It's also action. That's how we show we love one for another. The lawyer summed up the law by saying, loving God and loving neighbor. And if you think about it, the Ten Commandments can be divided up into loving God and loving our neighbor. Can they not? You have, have no other gods before me. Do not worship idols. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. And honor me with a Sabbath. There's all the ways that we can love God. right? That's how we love God. And then the other ones are how we love our neighbor. We honor our mother and father. We do not murder, do not commit adultery, we do not steal, we do not lie, we do not cover our neighbor's things. That's our loving our neighbor. See, the Ten Commandments can be divided up into loving God and loving our neighbor. That's why he sums it up this way. But do we see that this lack of love is the root of sin? That whenever you are sinning, you are not loving either God or your neighbor. It's the roots of our sin. Those of you that are taking how people change, you will see that. You will see how that many times, how do you get to the root of, of why you're sinning, this rotten things that's hanging off of my tree here, these sins that are hanging off my tree, the, the, the root comes from the lack of love within the Ten Commandments. Let me just give you a, a simple example. I'll give you a simple example to see how this works and how he shows us this and how God and, and how we're, we'll be shown and how people change and, and how the, the fact that the, the root of our sin is this lack of love. Now, I'll use an example that maybe it might touch some of you, but I bet you that almost all of you know somebody that experiences this sin or steps into this sin, and that's the sin of, of stepping into pornography. So how is the sin of watching pornography a lack of love? Well, first of all, it's, you're not loving God. What do you mean you're not loving God? I'm just doing something that feels good to myself. It ain't hurting nobody. Well, it's a lack of God because what you're doing is, is you're using those people that's on, on the screen as an idol. You're loving them. You're going to them because you're either frustrated or, or you're angry or you're bored or whatever reason why you, know, you go there. What you're doing is you're worshiping them to give, make you feel joyous, make you feel better instead of worshiping God. They're, they become idols. So you're not loving God. And then loving your neighbor, well, that, there's all kinds of things here, right? First of all, if you're married, you're committing adultery to your spouse because that's what you're doing. So you're not loving your spouse, right? You're, you're, you're also committing adultery if you're single to your future spouse, and if, if you're just single, then and what you're doing is you're coveting what those people are doing. And it's all rooted in the lack of love. It's not very loving to use people for your pleasure. All sin, all of it. Man, we can dig down, we can see where it's a lack of love. And we could use now, now, yeah, there's nuances. Yeah, you can't put every little thing in every little category of these Ten Commandments, but man, you can get really close. And if you can't find the Ten Commandments, what you can use is the fear, the guilt, and the shame that we, we experience from the, from the fall of the garden. See, this is how we dig to the root of our sin. And I know, it's like, why? Every Sunday I come here and all you talk about is sin. It's because that's what I want you to be freed from. 
Because you don't understand sometimes. I don't understand the sin that, that clings on to me. If it would fall off of me, how much more joy I would have, how much more pleasure I would have in God, not in the things of this world. All the roots of our sin is a lack of love in some way. We are not loving. We are not loving. So Jesus says, yeah, the law, all of it, is summed up in love. These are the roots of our sin. Tim read for us this morning, Romans 13, 8. And what did he say? Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. You have fulfilled the law. Isn't it the, the loss of love that sometimes, I, I remember whenever, uh, you know, whenever you're dating in high school and, and, and you fall, fall head over heels for somebody and, and they break it off and you're like, oh, I'm dying again. Isn't it the lack of love that makes you not want to live? And, and isn't it whenever you're walking in love that it's the hope and certainty of love that makes you want to live? That gives you a skip in your step that makes you joyous? It's about love. When you are experiencing giving love, you feel the most human because that's how he designed you. To love is to have life. And to love through the actions of the Ten Commandments is how you have eternal life. That's what Jesus just told the, the lawyer. He says, yes. How did you read the law? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yep, go do it. Go do it. Because the lawyer asked, what must I do to have eternal life? And he says, go love. That's it, perfect love. That's what the law requires. Perfect love. Live a life of perfect love and you are set. No problem. Just live a life of that perfect love absolute love, not once in a while, but 24-7. How does the lawyer respond? And I think here is the point of the passage. How does the lawyer respond? Verse 29, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Do you know that Jesus really never answers that question, who is my neighbor? He tells them how to love. I went around and around and around all day, uh, all week about this question. Like, the lawyer asked the question, but Jesus never really answers it. Why is that? Because that means Jesus is, is really answering a question that the lawyer needs answered. Right? He's, he's going to the heart again. I know that we're humans and we can't often do that, but we can sure can read his word and see it. It's there for us. What the lawyer is saying when he says, but he desiring to justify himself, and who is, he just asked, who is my neighbor? Okay, what he's saying is, I do that, Jesus. I love perfectly. I love God perfectly, and I love my neighbor perfectly. All you got to do is go and tell me who my neighbor is, and I'll go do what I'm already doing. I got this. I justify myself. You just need to tell me who my neighbor is. Because I got the rest of it. I got all Ten Commandments. We're doing them good. 
And I'll just go and, and pour that out into somebody else. I got this. Jesus is doing the same thing to the lawyer as he did to the rich young ruler, is he not? Mark 10. The rich young ruler asked the same question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, you know what is in the law? Obey the law. And the rich young ruler said, what? I have always obeyed the law. I have done that. It's exactly what this lawyer is saying. I'm good. I've done that. Who's my neighbor? Just like the man says, I obey the law. I love perfectly. Then he showed the rich young ruler how he does not. By showing him how he does not love God. And how does the rich young ruler not love God? He had an idol. What was that idol? His money, his possessions. Because Jesus said, go and sell all you have. And we reread that the rich young ruler went away and didn't do it. He says, yeah, I'm following the law perfectly. But whenever you really get down deep, whenever you get down to my love and my idol, well, I'm not going to give that up. But I'm a good person because I can do all these things. No, he, he wants what you love, this perfect love. Jesus comes back and says, listen, I take the law more seriously than you do. I take it more seriously than you do. That's what he's telling this lawyer. Those that, that had all the rules, right? I take it even more seriously than you. Why? Because I'm looking at your heart. I'm looking at what you love, not just the actions out here that you do. Because many of the actions out here that you're doing is to justify yourself and make yourself a good person before others. But that doesn't count before God because God's looking at your heart. What do you love? What do you love? It says, if you want to get into heaven, if you want God to receive you, you have to obey the law perfectly. The only way to obey the law perfectly, the only way to fulfill it is to love perfectly. Because if you love it, if you look at all the rules, all the seven or 800 rules that they had, and you start to obey the rules, you can feel like a pretty good person. You can say, you know what, today, I made it through today, and I didn't do X. I'm a pretty good person. But where's your heart? What did you love? But if you look at what the rules are getting at, the life of perfect love, the heart of perfect love, a life of perfect love, then you'll see what God is really after. And you'll see you don't even come close. I know I don't even come close. He has a, a standard, perfection in the law. And he says, you don't come close. Jesus says, I take the law more seriously than you Lawyer, lawyer of the law, the one that's following it precisely. I take the law more seriously, Jesus says. You want to be saved by doing? That's what, that's what he asks. What must I do to have eternal life? You want to be saved by doing? What must I do to inherit, in, to inherit eternal life? You want to be saved? You do have to obey the law. The whole thing in the law is perfect love. You must love perfectly. He is crushing the lawyer. He's crushing him. He's showing him like, okay, you want to justify yourself? You think this, he's just asking me this question about, well, who am I supposed to go do all these things that I already do perfectly? Who am I going to, who, who do I need to do that for? He's backing him into a corner. 
Because the lawyer wants Jesus to say, well, just do what you're doing. Live this really obedient life. Jesus is trying to say, yeah, you have to live an obedient life. And there is no way you will ever be able to do it. No way. Like a good teacher, he is trying to get the student to cry out and say, my old solutions to this problem do not work. What is the answer? What is the answer? Whenever we look at God's word and and we see that we're, in order to have eternal life, we must perfectly love. And you're like, Joe, I know my own heart. I look in the mirror every day. I'm not there. Does that mean I'm not saved or I'll never get there? You know, Jesus, God has never removed the standard of obeying the perfect law, obeying the law perfectly in order to be in heaven. He's never removed that standard whatsoever. But how are we going to do it? We fail so often. He has him in a quarter. What is your solution? What is your answer? He's trying to show the Lord he doesn't love perfectly. You will never justify yourself by your love. Until you see you cannot love, you cannot love. Until you see that you cannot love, you cannot love. The lawyer took this statement. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said, yep, I can do it. I can do that perfectly. Jesus says, no, you can't. None of us can. No more than we know we cannot and do not love perfectly. Real love begins when you see that you don't have real love. When you see you don't have real love, you will stop trying to be like this lawyer who is saying he can justify himself before God. You cannot justify yourself. Joe can't justify himself. Nobody can justify ourselves. We do not have enough righteousness in us for eternal life. What are we to do? How will we obtain eternal life? Oh, there's the good news. There's the good news of the gospel. How will we obtain eternal life? Because we know we don't love perfectly. How will we obtain eternal life? It's by the mercy of God. It's by the mercy of God. And the mercy of God is this. Though you and I were poor in spirit, though we were spiritually bankrupt, though we did not love God with our heart, soul, strength, and mind, you don't love your neighbor as yourself most of the times. I, Jesus Christ, came, not just as a teacher, to show you how to justify yourself. That's not my purpose. That's not my point. That's not why I came. See, Jesus says, I came as your justifier. I came as your justifier. Jesus does not come to tell you how to justify yourself. He comes as your justifier. Jesus says, I came and lived a perfect life. I love God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. I love my neighbor as myself. My record becomes yours when you see I died for you and paid for your debt. My record becomes your record. When you put your faith in him, that's what happens. There's this great exchange that happens. His record becomes our record. 
We no longer have to live justifying ourselves because Christ has done it for us. My record becomes yours. I justify, Jesus says. Everything can be set straight if you believe in me as your justifier instead of yourself. Boy, what a burden we can lay down if we stop living our lives trying to justify everything, who we are, what we do. What a burden we can lay down. He came to justify us. See, what happens is is real Christian love. Real Christian love has a particular quality and a nature that is unique to it. And it doesn't begin until you see you are a sinner saved by grace. Because see, we can't move towards, as the rest of the passage is going to show us, we won't move towards those people that God's calling us to move towards because we're always trying to justify ourselves. In fact, the barrier for why you won't step into a mess sometimes, a messy life of someone else, is this idea that you're trying to justify yourself, which is completely unloving. Real love starts when you are stunned into silence by the love of Christ for paying for your debt. The kind of love that comes out of a sinner saved by grace is the kind of love that is depicted in the rest of this parable. Jesus tells us an interesting story, and and you have to realize that Jesus is trying to show this man in the essence of, uh, this man is the essence of the love God requires and can produce in people who are saved by grace. This is the essence of of the love that God requires. In verse 30, he says, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now there is a much speculation about why the Levite and the priest did what they did. But it's speculation. So let's stick with what we know and what we see right here in the text. One thing that we know is the road is very dangerous. It's a very dangerous road. We know that from historical accounts. We know that because this guy got robbed and beaten and left for dead on this road. It's not a road that you want to break down on at 3 a.m. at night, right? Charity and I took a a trip out to Chicago this past summer um, to watch a baseball game at Wrigley Field, one of the things I've always wanted to do, and were pleasantly surprised by all of Chicago and how nice everyone was because of everything that we see on the TV, Right? It's like, it was like, are we in the same place? Did we come to the same city that everything that we see on the city? Because everyone we bumped into, they, they were just open arms, you know, loving us, just in, even though we were all we were wearing pirate gear and we were in the Cubs stadium. They were still loving. But, you know, Joe still knew every neighborhood that, that we weren't going to go into because I didn't want something to happen in that neighborhood or on that road. 
So one thing we note is this road is a very dangerous road. It's a very dangerous road. So let's keep with what we do know and what is the kind of love on display by the Samaritan. First, we know the Samaritan risked his life to, to love this man. Second, he gives him to the most concrete kind of care, medical treatment. He gets his hands dirty. Thirdly, we see that he gives us, give of his time. He changed his schedule to help a perfect stranger. Fourth, he gets the man to an inn and pays about two days' wages for the stranger to stay and even opened up a tab in case any other expenses would come that he would pick up. You have to remember, not only is the Samaritan risking his life, getting dirty, destroying his schedule, giving the most concrete and expensive and costly kind of help, but the Samaritan is doing it to a sworn enemy. The Jews and the Samaritans were, tre- were tremendous enemies. We know from history the worst thing a Jew could call a person was a Samaritan. You know, in John 8, when they really were mad at Jesus and they don't know what to call him, they say, you're a Samaritan. Why would Jesus pick such an extreme example? Because he is saying, and now hear it carefully, the mark of a heart that's been touched by the grace of God will lead to deeds of compassion to the neediest. It will lead to deeds of compassion to the neediest, to the most broken, to the most ungrateful, the kind of person who is the furthest away from you, socially or physically or anyway. Real love that can come out of a heart touched by grace is extreme love. This is the love God requires of you. And you cannot love like this unless you know you can't love like this. And lean into the grace of God. This is the love that God requires. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne before him, will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another and shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on the right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came, came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you or thirst you and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer, truly I say to you, as you did it to the one of least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Perfect love is required. The way you treat others, other ethnicities, the way you treat people who are the most broken, the furthest from you, the people who are the most dire and destitute, the people to you that are the furthest away, so to speak. They take time, they take energy, they take change in your schedule, they take money, they cost you something to love them. The way you uh, treat those people shows whether or not you are self-justified 
or whether you know you are a sinner saved by grace. Because most likely, the reason why you won't reach out to help them is a reason that you're justifying yourself. And God will have none of that. He says, no, perfect love is what I require. But we can't love that way until we know that we can't love. Until we step into his grace. See, a self-justified person, a moral person will say, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. That's what I did. So you just justified yourself. And God says, no, perfect love. Because you know what? You've done this 15 times, and I'm going to come and love on you and help you do it the 16th time until we get it right. That's what we do with our children. That's what we do with our children. Jesus asked one final question. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Jesus says to the lawyer, you want to know what kind of love the father requires? Here it is. Anybody can love people who are right next to them. Anybody can love people if it doesn't cost a lot. Anybody can love people who are just like them. Unless your heart has been radically changed, unless real love is growing in your heart because you've seen what Jesus has done for you, unless you've been humbled by the knowledge that there is no love in your life that's worthy of God, unless you've been built up by the knowledge that I have paid everything and I have given you all of my salvation, you will never love like this. You will never love like this. See, until you are crushed and convicted by the magnitude of the love he requires, that's what he's trying to say to the lawyer. Because remember, the lawyer said, I got this. I got this. You will never be humbled enough to receive the love he offers in the gospel. You know why? Because you're standing there and you might be sitting there today and not really paying much attention and, okay, whatever, this love and whatever he's talking about. And, and you're sitting there and you're justifying yourself and you're rejecting the gospel. Because I don't need that. We need that. We desperately need that. It's not until you receive the love he offers will you be able to bit by bit, sanctification slowly from one glory to another, be more and more like the Good Samaritan who, of course, is Jesus himself. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, help us just to, to cry out right now. I do not love like that. I do not perfectly love you, God. I don't perfectly love my neighbor. But Lord, help me. Help me. Father, I don't, no longer want to justify myself. Lord, I, I want to rest in and push into all that Christ has done to justify me before you. Put my faith in him. I trust him. Because Jesus will not forget his own. That's what we sang today. Jesus will not forget his own. And when we stand before him on judgment, 
Lord, I don't want my righteousness to be anywhere to be found. I want to be hiding behind Jesus' righteousness. That's the only thing that will get me to heaven. It's the only way that I will have eternal life. Lord, I pray that you will help us to see that today. And Lord, help us to step into that. This wonderful, wonderful love that you have lavished upon us through your son, Jesus Christ. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.